Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail in Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. My name is Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I currently help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to give me a holler at Impact. And if I can't help you directly, I can certainly direct you to the right person or agency. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to my new sponsors, Podcorn. Podcorn's a marketplace for podcasters and advertisers. It kind of cuts out the middleman a podcaster no longer has to chase the advertisers. You can just focus on your content. It's not super technical. You really just follow the prompts that the website lays out and the advertisers contact you. You do the commercial like I'm doing here today, and then the money's deposited in your account. So if I can handle it, I think you can handle it. It's a great service and a great idea. Give them a shot if you got a podcast going. Okay, guys, let's get to it. We're not going to have to jump back into the time machine today. This case took place in 2017 in South Boston. The case has come to be known as the South Boston condo murders because the murders were conducted in a luxury high-rise building in South Boston called the McClellan Building. So I guess, guys, this is the best time as any to warn you of the graphic content that's to come. So if you can't handle that type of episode, this may not be the one for you. There is some graphic testimony here, so be advised, all right? All right, guys, before we get too far into it, I want you to think about something. What is the appropriate jail sentence for committing two bank robberies? In Massachusetts, they're each a 10-year felony, a 15-year felony on the federal level, I believe. But just keep that in mind as we go, okay? Put a pin in it. We'll get back to it. All right, guys, we're going to introduce the victims here. And the victims' names are Lena Bolanos and Richard Field. Both of these guys were anesthesiologists. They had met at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. But Lena was an anesthesiologist. I know I'm going to butcher that all through this. Anesthesiologist at the Mass Eye and Ear Center. It's actually connected to Mass General Hospital and it's a world-famous ear, nose, and throat medical center. And Lena was born in Palmyra, Colombia, and she immigrated to the United States after she went to medical school in Colombia. And she ended up settling in Boston in 2001, and she started work at the Brigham, as they call it in Boston, Brigham and Women's Hospital. And at the Brigham, she met... Richard Field, who was also a doctor of anesthesiology, and he was from England. Richard was a principal in a business called North Shore Pain Management. He was an anesthesiologist, but he was also involved with pain management, and his reputation is one that he didn't really like to give out narcotics. He liked all natural remedies, massage, chiropractic, stuff like that. Pain medicine for Dr. Field was last on the rung, I guess you could say. Both Richard and Lena were instructors at Harvard University Medical School, so 
these two were pretty heavy hitters in their field. And they became smitten with each other when they both worked at the Brigham. And colleagues and friends, they had a, a wide circle of friends. They knew they were a perfect fit and they knew they, eventually they'd get married. And that's the path they were on. They had recently purchased a $1.9 million penthouse at the McClellan building. And it's absolutely beautiful. There's some photos. I believe there's one in the, the Daily Mail of the UK, which features their view. And it encompasses the majority of the city in the background. There's real yards in the foreground, but that kind of just adds to the urban nature of it. At night, it's a beautiful view. I'm familiar with the area. I grew up in South Boston, and their building was right across from my transit stop called Broadway MBTA Station. Lena loved children, and that's one of the reasons she focused on pediatric anesthesiology. And she helped kids who already had pre-existing medical conditions, so their needs in terms of anesthesia were different. So it took a lot more focus, and Lena was the person for this. Richard, on the other hand, was extremely busy in his work as well. He worked at the Beverly Hospital, Brigham and Women's, and I believe Lena was on staff at the Brigham as well. So they were extremely busy, but in their off time, they liked to spend time together. They were getting some work done on their new condo, but they loved to travel, and would just seem to be living their dream life, hurting no one and helping many. Lena and Richard were engaged to be married. However, I don't know if they had actually set a date yet. There was a bit of an age difference. Richard was 49 and Lena was 38, but not much in terms of that. They had talked about having their own children and things were just going swimmingly. They were renovating the condo, planning on getting married and considering children. So just like everybody else in the world, looking for good things. So that brings us to May 5th, 2017. It was a Friday, normal work day for these two. They got up and out early and went to their respective workplaces. The two communicated during the day. They were actually supposed to have a dinner guest, a surgeon friend of theirs, but Richard wasn't feeling too great and he asked to cancel and Lena called the friend and did, in fact, cancel their dinner. So Richard and Lena's workday continues, but unbeknownst to them, their security cameras picked up an individual around the building. He was tall, skinny. He had a yellow shirt on carrying a string like Nike athletic bag. And he's kind of lurking around the building in different spots. So that's creepy enough, but at 4 p.m., this individual makes his way into the garage. He is recorded on video as he does so. And he was then picked up on interior cameras within this brand new luxury building. So Lena returns home to the McClellan building about 5 p.m. And it's kind of harrowing to watch the security footage of her entering the building. She makes her way up to her apartment. They were in the penthouse on the 11th floor. And Sometime between the elevator and her apartment door, the police believe she was accosted by that same man that was seen on video with the Nike string bag, yellow t-shirt, and all that. The reason the police believe that is there were some items left in the hallway, apartment keys, a bag, 
And when the police ended up arriving there sometime later, they ended up using those keys that were on the ground to gain entry into the apartment. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Richard returned home about 6.30 p.m. He had a longer work day and was looking forward to spending the night with his fiance. But when he arrived at the apartment, he was assaulted as well. And at some point, they were both tied up. They were tied up with masking tape. And it seemed to police who would later say that maybe they were released in order to get certain items for this attacker. They were bound and placed into a prone position. But the police believed this was an ongoing assault, okay? And Richard, for his part, very brave, he tried to call 911 five times, four of which didn't go through. So I don't know if he's doing this behind his back or something, but he's trying to alert the police. And later, Lena would as well. Lena actually had more success getting through to the police. But this is where the case kind of goes off the rails, guys. The 911 operator on Lena's call screwed up, didn't trace the call, didn't keep it live. The protocol was she should have alerted a supervisor. The supervisor would have took over the call. So it was a mess, and that would be worked out afterwards. But it just proved that there is a glitch, a flaw in the 911 system in Boston and nationwide. So both Richard and Lena are still fighting for their lives, but using their heads to do it. Richard ends up texting a friend of his. Some of the text comes over gobbled, but he texted his friend, Matthias Heinrich, and stated that there's a gunman in the house, and it's serious, and to call the police, and they do so. But they did delay a little bit. Matthias and his girlfriend go back and forth and say, is this for real? Matthias tries to text back, but receives no response. At that point, the girlfriend gets the phone number for the concierge desk in the McClellan building. They call the concierge desk. The concierge calls police and Matthias and his girlfriend also call the police. So now help is on the way. So the police get to the building. They go right up to the 11th floor and they see those items I had previously mentioned on the floor outside the apartment door. And those were the bag, some door keys. They use the door keys to enter. Now they know there's exigent circumstances and they're going to enter. They announce themselves as police before they enter and afterwards. And as they enter, they come in contact with the assailant who is holding a gun. And the Boston police officer fires on the assailant, striking him multiple times in the abdomen, chest, and I believe the left wrist. So they end up handcuffing the assailant, getting him out of the apartment and to a medical provider, an EMT that had arrived. But the assailant said there's still another armed assailant inside the condominium. And that necessitated the Boston police getting the equivalent of their SWAT team in. They did that. There was no other assailant in there. But what those officers stumbled across was a horror show. And it's difficult to describe. And you may not want to hear it if you don't like graphic content. But both victims, Lena and Richard, were proned out, hands tied behind their back, and their throats were cut. And that's not all. Lena had 27 stab slash marks on her neck, and I believe Richard had similar. So I don't know when 
the actual murders took place. It was obviously sometime between the 911 calls and the arrival of police, but I can't help but think if the 911 calls had been, the protocols had been followed and it all went well, that the police would have been there in under three minutes. The South Boston District Station is literally half a block away, well, maybe a block away, and the area is full of police all the time, so the response time would have been under five minutes. So it's just a tragedy. So in addition to the mutilated bodies, the police found writing on the wall, and the writing stated, they killed my wife, payback. I don't know if this was written in blood or something else, but I think what this guy was trying to do was to set up a false motive so the police would go down another trail thinking it was related to one of their patients. There was also jewelry, money stacked all around the place, placed in the bag, the string Nike bag that had been seen on the assailant before he entered. So he was robbing them. That was the motive of this whole thing. Okay, so when the police get an opportunity to talk to the suspect, he identified himself as Bampunam Texera. I know I probably butchered that first name. He was 30 years old, and he stated that he was at the apartment because he was having an affair with Lena. And as they were sitting chatting, Dr. Field came home and was in a rage. Dr. Field then proceeded to kill Lena with the knife, cutting her throat after binding her hands. And he watched, and then he ran to the bathroom. After being in the bathroom, this Superman, Textera, overpowers Dr. Field and kills him. Doesn't mention the fact that both victims had their hands tied behind their backs, and he had no affair with Lena. It's just that simple. There'd be evidence of that, text messages, all this other stuff just nonsense. This guy got caught red-handed, actually literally red-handed because he got shot in the hand by the police within the apartment. So the police end up finding jewelry in this bag that Textera had. He had a couple knives. He also had what appeared to be a BB gun. They called it a fake gun or some type of inert gun, but I actually think it fired BBs. And that's what the police saw when they arrived. And that's why they shot him. Okay, guys, so remember when I asked you what the appropriate sentence for two bank robberies was or should be? I'm going to tell you why I asked that question. On August 24th, 2014, Mr. Textera walked into a Citizens Bank branch in downtown Crossing and demanded $1,000 in specific bill amounts. He also requested no die packs. He got that money. But before he left, he had threatened, if you don't give me the money, I'm going to start shooting people. He gets the money, no die packs, and walks out. He is caught on videotape and placed on the FBI's listing of bank robbers. But he was not arrested for that crime. So fast forward to 2016, this genius Textera walks into the same bank branch, the same citizen's bank branch, and now requests $5,000. I guess inflation's kind of a bitch. He gets the 5000 but also, again, threatens to shoot everybody in there. He didn't show a gun at that time or in the first robbery, but they give him the money and he walks out, and he thinks he gets away with it. 
The police use the transit system's security cameras to trace him step by step as he goes, and he gets off at Broadway Station on one side is Dorchester Avenue, right where the McClellan Building is. But at this time, Textera is working as a security concierge at another high-profile building right across the street. So the cops go into that building and ask around a little bit, and fellow employees point out Textera. He's arrested and taken away by police. And I'm sorry, I've got to correct myself on something. On the second robbery, he asked for $5,000, and I said he walked away with that amount. That's not accurate. He walked away with $221, and then he was arrested at the other luxury building in South Boston. This criminal genius, Textera, confesses to both crimes. The first one, they didn't even connect to him, so... Typically, you're looking at a 10-year sentence for bank robbery. It's also a federal felony as well, but in Massachusetts, it's a 10-year felony for each offense. So he should have been looking at a minimum of 20 years for those two robberies. Maybe they give him 10 on the state side, and they should have gave the feds the other. So maybe he does 15 years. But don't forget, we're in the state of Massachusetts, and I'm going to tell you how much time this guy received. He pled guilty and got the plea bargain of all plea bargains. He was sentenced to serve nine months in the Suffolk House of Correction, which is a jail in downtown Boston. And he served that time, and the rest of the time was suspended or something else. So, I mean, he really got nothing for these two crimes. He sat in a local county jail for under a year for two bank robberies, and he should have been doing at least 15 years. It's mind-numbingly stupid. He should have been two years into his sentence in Walpole State Prison while he was killing these two people. Unbelievable. These soft-on-crime policies have an effect, and the effect in this case was a double homicide. So the investigation continues before trial, and it came out that Textera actually had worked at the McClellan building. That's how he knew how to get into the building through the garage and all that. And they believe he may have still had keys. They think he knew Lena and Richard, but he just worked at the desk as a concierge, security, whatever. He only lasted a few weeks in that building, so it would be unlikely that Lena and Richard or anybody else would probably remember the kid. Texera was born in Guinea-Bissau in Africa and later raised in Cape Verde by an aunt. And he moved from Cape Verde to the Boston area when Texera was in his 20s. The aunt and Texera had some type of falling out when they got here, and Texera voluntarily left the home and went to various homeless shelters. After Texera got out of prison, he... Actually, it wasn't prison. It was just county jail. After he got out, he texted a former girlfriend who was quite fond of him and ended up saying, I'm not a good person, and he told him what he had done. The ex-girlfriend was flabbergasted. She had never even seen him drink alcohol, take any type of drugs, was totally mild-mannered with her. She ended up in tears in this interview and couldn't believe that this double homicide was tied to her former boyfriend. So sometime later, when the case goes to trial, the defense shocked everyone by going with a self-defense claim. 
and they continued the theory that Texera was having an active affair with Lena. So the defense theory goes that Texera was invited over by Lena and they were surprised by Dr. Field coming home and Field kills Lena after tying him up. I guess Texera watches all this. He stabs her apparently 24 times in the neck. Then Texera runs to the bathroom. And after he's in the bathroom, he decides he's got to get out of there. And then as he's leaving, he disarms Dr. Field, puts his hands behind his back, and cuts his throat. He admits to stealing those items because he says in the interview with police, yeah, I was greedy. So he stole all that jewelry. So it's just an insane defense. And speaking of insane, I think they might have had a better case for insanity here. That really works in Massachusetts, but this other theory was just complete and utter horseshit. And the prosecutor, Pappas, proved it was horseshit. He goes back to the interview they had in the hospital. So during that interview, Textera had claimed that he met Lena while he briefly worked at the McClellan building, and that's when they started their affair. So the detectives press further, and the first thing I ask is, what's her name? He doesn't even know her name. He had seen her in scrubs, so he thought she was a nurse. She was a doctor. The police go on to ask him, who else can verify you having an affair with Lena? And he says, nobody. I have no friends in this country, basically. And furthermore, there's no text messages. There's nothing indicating any relationship whatsoever. What he had saw while he worked at the apartment building, at the McClellan building, was a target. And that's why he kept those keys. So the defense tries this theory. The only thing they have going for them is there's no suspect DNA because he had worn gloves and all that. So there was no real DNA fingerprint transfer. So it was just hard for them to overcome. He's literally caught red-handed in the apartment, right? Who tied up Dr. Field? And if this all happened the way he said it did, why would you have to shoot it out with the police? And why would Dr. Field say, there's a gunman. He used a gun against them. Why would he do that? It was just preposterous. And I think District Attorney John Pappas stated it best. He said, we've surpassed the preposterous and are now firmly seated in the theater of the absurd. During the trial, outside of the jury's presence, Textera also threatened District Attorney John Pappas and said, you better hope I never get out of jail. And I guess later, off camera, he said that he was going to kill Pappas' wife. So, very nice guy, this Textera. So, the trial goes about the way you would expect it to go. This defense was absurd, and the jury saw through it immediately. Textera was convicted of two homicides, sentenced to life without parole for both consecutively. So, there's absolutely no way he's going to get out. He was also convicted of armed robbery and various other crimes as well, but he's never getting out of prison. So in my mind, this is a death penalty case. There was no need for it. These weren't two guys out, decide to go out back and fight. This was a merciless attack on two innocent people, purely for the few thousand dollars they may have had in the house. I mean, it's just crazy. How much money did this goof think he was going to get out of there. He had already failed at robbing banks, 
and he wasn't going to go back to prison. That's what I believe. I think ultimately, even if he got out of that condominium building, he would have been caught because there's no way this goof could pull that off. He's just ridiculous. The police would have went through previous employees at the building. They would have come across his name and ran his police record, finding out that he had just been arrested a short time before at another luxury building for robbing two banks. So there it is, guys. What I want you to take away from this case is the fact that this guy, and this is getting a reoccurring theme on Boston Confidential, the police already had him. They've already done a good job. He was in prison, and the courts let him out. And it's ridiculous. He does nine months for two bank robberies, and now he does a double homicide. That's the consequences of being soft on crime. He should have been in jail, or maybe even a mental institution. There's something clearly wrong with him. But to put him on the street with innocent people was a recipe for disaster. You did nobody any favors in this case, and there's hundreds like it. I believe Lena's family ended up filing suit against the concierge security company that worked for the McClellan building. I don't know if Richard's estate joined in that lawsuit for inadequate building security, but I hope his estate did. The security at that building for what you pay is just ridiculous. And somehow that kid kept a key to a private elevator or a private room on the penthouse floor. And that's where he waited for Lena to come home. So I'm sure that they'll settle that case out of court, but I don't have anything definitive on that. So that's still a question mark in this case. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you there. If you want to get a hold of me, feel free to contact me at barry at bostonconfidential.net. would love to hear from you. Otherwise, I'm going to keep pumping along. I'm going to have another episode for you next week. And Thanksgiving will soon be upon us. All right, guys, talk to you later.